What is up? Welcome back to Nostalgia Pod. We're giving you your weekly recap in pop culture, music, TV, movies. Before we jump too far into it, hit that subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. You can find us pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts, including Spotify. So give us a follow there. And a rating and review on iTunes is always appreciated. Five stars, preferred. Dave, we, we got lots to talk about today. You know, we're going we're gonna to look at 2019. What, what are we looking forward to? We're going to review some movies, talk about an album. We were like, ah, we got the Golden Globes. We can probably just make that a quick one. It doesn't really matter. And then the Golden Globes went in for the most Golden Globes they could be last night. Can you give us a bit of a recap on what happened? In short, we are far from the shallow now, my friend. Ah. As we've said before, the Golden Globes as an award people, a tangible award people care about, does not exist. No one actually gives a shit about who wins per se. People just are mad about how it affects the awards. We do care about, namely, the Oscars. The TV stuff, we're not even talking about the TV stuff. They like to get ahead of the Emmys because, you know, they're, the way their calendar works, that's fine, whatever. They've done a lot of cool stuff on the TV side, like Robot, Maisel, etc. That, that's cool. But the movies, uh, generally, you know, it's been, they've done some weird stuff. They'll pick stuff that doesn't usually win. Not really the best predictor at all. But, you know, it's supposed to be a fun ceremony. The celebrities are a little looser. It is what it is, right? And that's kind of what I was hoping for. That's what you were hoping for. Everyone was hoping for. Unfortunately, the Hollywood Foreign Press, this shadowy cabal of 83, 93 people, under 100 people, really, really uh, fucking went off the deep end. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, with the Oscar voting literally just uh, opening up uh, at midnight following the ceremony, it's worrisome that this could influ- influence the voters. And that's namely uh, that the two big the big talking points, Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody, did so well at the Globes, winning the two best pictures as well as other awards. So that's uh, very disappointing. <laughs> and I really hope it's not a sign of things to come. Again, none of the HFPA vote on the Oscars. The Oscars is like 8,500 people representing a much more diverse mm-hmm. you know, group of in Hollywood. So... I'm still very hopeful and I'm not actually worried, but it is annoying that now we have this narrative that's not going to go away for two months. What was your take? Did you actually watch the ceremony? I did not watch it. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a interesting award ceremony. They really leaned into, and rightfully so, they leaned into the, the women's movement. You know, Regina King had a really powerful speech on it. Sandra Oh had some nice words on it as well. Really touching moment between her and her parents. I didn't feel like Oh and Sandberg did a great job hosting. They were fine you know their, their best joke came at the expense of the this is us cast which <laughs> i i thought if they could have captured that moment a little bit more throughout it would have been a lot better but yeah i came away just like i was just laughing man because when you think about the golden globes they have some interesting picks like right last year james franco won for best actor in a comedy right. you know best lead actor in a comedy it's like Okay, he he didn't end up winning, obviously, Academy Award for it, and it was pretty controversial based on some of the, the issues and the things James Franco is going through right now. Mahershala Ali winning, okay, we kind of thought he he mean he was the favorite for the category. That's fine. Green Book has some problems, but I didn't think it was gonna win. I thought Vice was probably gonna win. Then Green Book won. And I'm like, ah, oh, crap. This is probably the worst possible thing that could happen in terms of the you know the oscars race because now green book's going to be getting a lot more press it's going to be talked about a lot more could just end up sneaking in there and then bohemian rhapsody wins for best drama and i was like jesus christ this has a 62 percent on rotten tomatoes this is a this is a film that not even critics like it is winning best drama i am probably most upset for films like beale street or something like spider-man which I had like an outside hope could potentially get a Best Picture nomination. Yeah. Now you know Rhapsody's going to get in there. Right. And First Man, bye-bye, sorry. Yeah. First Man, a film that should be nominated. It's it's good enough. I mean, I don't, Widows, I, same I don't thing. think it was a great film. Yeah, Widows would be another one. So I'm, I'm upset about that. I think Rami's deserving. But man, just uh, looking forward, A Star is Born, Biggest Loser Last mm. Night. I don't know where they're going to be in the race moving forward. I have to imagine Gaga and Cooper are going to be out there standing and trying to campaign a lot for it. But the the race, which seemed so set, 
leaving feels a little bit more wide open, a little bit more unpredictable. The only thing that seems sure now is Koran's going to win for Roma for directing and probably is still the favorite for the category for the best picture. And that's the ultimate thing why you can't use it as a bellwether is because Roma was not eligible for either best picture because it's a foreign film. Really weird stipulation by the Hollywood foreign press. And then also Olivia Coleman, who I would say is the favorite for best actress, was not going against we thought her chief competition was Gaga. In fact, Glenn Close won for uh, best actress in drama. But either way, they, Coleman was separated from her two chief competitors. So again, we didn't really get to see that pan out. And we just got the uh, Writers Guild nominations today. And Green Book is nominated for a screenplay. It won the screenplay at the Globes. So I think that's just like one of the most egregious things. That's yeah. like the worst part of the film and kind of the source of most of the problems and the things people have in it take issue with. And now Green Book's, it's three billboards all over again. And I know a lot of people were hoping we didn't yeah. have to deal with this. But here we are. Yeah, and this is something we didn't necessarily talk about in our Green Book review, but you know, it's it's written with the help of Tony the Lips' son, and uh, it doesn't really take into account the the any firsthand experience from Don Shirley, not even secondhand experience. Pretty much told totally from Tony the Lips' oh, yeah. perspective, as told by his son. So it's it's in a way whitewashing this very complicated black man's experience, and a lot of it has been refuted by Don Shirley's family. So. Uh, you know the the acting award i can understand like mahershala is gonna give the performance he's gonna give and i thought he was still brilliant in the role even vigo mortensen getting yeah, nominated sure. he's playing the role but the screenplay is egregious because it's basically saying oh we don't really give a we don't give a shit about this yep. like we're we're gonna accept that this is all the truth that this is really the way it went down we're not going to take into account this other person's contradictory yep. experience so it, there's a really good article on variety about problems with the green book uh and a lot of the controversy jason concepcion tweeted it out i'd recommend reading that to to brush up but that would probably be my my worst case scenario is if green book somehow with the preferential voting uh comes out on top on this but i actually think the preference the preferential voting will save the category in general i think yeah green book will end up being like third on a lot of people's ballots and roma and stars born still guest books top two We'll see. Going to be interesting. Can't wait to see the nominations. I think they come out in two weeks. 22nd. So yes, 22nd. pretty soon. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. Uh, why don't we jump to 21 Savage? Oh, yeah. Totally. Similar. I am greater <laughs> than I was. This is his second album, follow-up to 2017's Issa, Issa album. Issa, nice. I actually was about to say last year's, but it's not last Correct. year's at this point. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, this dropped right before Christmas. It dropped on the 21st, actually, mm-hmm. I believe. 21. Hey. Being that savage. Dave, we've, we've talked a little bit about how he's done really well on the features. Did he did he deliver on his second album? Yeah, I think so. I really liked the project. It was kind of just honing in, refining the take I've had for some time now about 21, where he's come a really long way as a all-around talent since I first, since most of us became aware of him in early 2016. His delivery is a lot more varied. He really has learned to control his like breath control and his cadences and never sound never sounds unlike himself but now there's more variety to what 21 Savage sounds like on any one song and it's really been cool to see him come into that because you know he's he was looped in to like you know the mumble rappers and all that but he never really was that mm-hmm. and if you actually listen to him he is actually a pretty impressive storyteller in terms of talking about loss and hurt as well as how that relates to his previous life of uh, violence and crime and whatnot. So I uh, was quite impressed. And at the end of the day, we listened to him for the bangers. And there's a bunch of bangers on here, chief among them the very first song, a lot, featuring another great yeah. J. Cole v- feature to top off the year. So yeah, I was a, a big fan. You know, On one hand, I kind of wish he just waited till like this week or next week to release this, because I still feel like... Streaming helps th- against this, but I still feel like you kind of lose track of a new musical project at the end of the year. So mm. I thought that was uh, maybe a little ill-advised. But that being said, I'm still really a big fan of it, still bumping it. What do you think? No, yeah, I think you, you touched on most of the, the, the points. I think his focus on this is what's most interesting. His, you know, you mentioned he talks a lot about the trauma, the hardships he went through, a lot of the violence he lived through. I think a lot is a great example of how he really taps into that but not in a way that feels 
like it takes like it's too deep to take away from the song like it, he really just talks about it very bluntly and i think mm-hmm. that's the thing I, I think is most impressive is he's just very straight to the point he's more interested in like the facts of things rather than like trying to like make sense of them or understand them and it, it still it makes these heavy songs still really digestible and i, th- I think he he varies up his sound quite a bit on right. this which is also a huge plus for me um i mean a lot is obviously my favorite but like uh, it was a letter to to mom, or let me just make sure I get the name of that correctly. Letter to my mama, uh, near the very end, I thought was another one very different sounding song, but uh, a lot of meaning comes together. And ASMR also uh, <laughs> stood out to me as a really good track. I see you. La- I hear you laugh. Yeah, well, that's a nice little shout out to the whispering he did on uh, Metro Boomin's yep. album quite recently. So I thought that one, that was mm-hmm. that was funny. It's funny. I never expected him and J Cole to vibe on a track so well, but they did on a lot. Similarly, yeah. I never thought him and Gamb- Childish Gambino would vibe so well, but Monster is quite good as well. Kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of Gambino on the Stone Mountain Kawhi DJ Drama project. Yeah. I also liked AT&T with Young Miami from City Girls. And what was the last one I liked? I, th- I thought uh, 1.5 was okay, you know, for uh, for mm-hmm. Amigos song, but uh, him and Offset obviously released without warning last year, so they have that chemistry. And then... Lastly, I liked Good Day, but a lot, a lot to like yeah. on here, whether you want the bangers, whether you want those the booming beats, or you want to actually listen for something more. It's kind of like Kodak Black in that regard. He can kind of give you a little bit of everything in this realm. Yeah, I think there's a couple of songs you can you can skip on this, but the rest are all really interesting to listen to. And he's shown a lot of growth. I mean, it's kind of, I guess, arbitrary to talk about, but... Do you think after hearing this album, you feel like his ceiling is higher of what he could be as an artist? Well, it's funny because I feel like he's already at a really high level. Like I, he's just a flat out star already. You know, he's um twenty six. Mm-hmm. It's funny he's a day older than me. Twenty six, exactly. Um, wow. But you know, he's he's got nine million Instagram followers, and he does hundreds of millions of streams. Like he's already huge. Now, can he get much bigger? I don't know what space is there for him to occupy. You know, it's like no one can get to the top when we still have our Drakes and our Kendricks not leaving the top, right? But in terms of conquering, like, the Atlanta sound, he's right next to Gucci and Migos now. He's right with them. So I think uh, the ceiling is still high. And again, he's still quite young, so I'm sure he'll stay hungry for more. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Someone that I think has to stay hungry, he will probably be one of the people taking up the mantle for... DC Comics as they move forward. Jason Momoa, our guy, playing Aquaman, Arthur Curry. Man, so yeah, I, I caught this movie yesterday, and it was still a pretty packed theater. It's been out for a couple weeks now. It seems to be doing pretty well. The interesting thing for me was I went into this movie, and I pretty quickly found myself rolling my eyes at a lot of things. It still felt very comic booky in a sense, like they're you know some of the the tropes. But I think what I found most interesting was this was a movie where, you know, they're underwater a lot and CGI with underwater has been tough. And at, you, you had a great tweet about it, which is like, I couldn't believe that the underwater CGI would be better than the land CGI. But here we are. Thanks, Aquaman. Like, pretty crazy. I just can't stop thinking about that desert scene, Dave, and how those sand dunes look like they're, they were straight out of Toy Story. And I was like, I feel like this is a perfect encapsulation of what DC movies, uh, comic, book, comic book movies are right now, but especially this movie was it had a lot of potential and there were so many good parts to it. And I think the good outshone the bad for the most part. But still, it seems like DC just can't quite get the formula right. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think this the, the CGI issues are just such an unforced error, you know? And something that, <laughs> not to compare to the Marvel, but that's just not something Marvel, a mistake they would make these days. And yes, this is what the fifth DCEU movie. They're again much earlier, more more nascent universe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like the very first scene, the lighthouse scene, where we get the goat Tamura Morrison, Django Fett from the prequels, my guy. We get him on a clearly green screen set, and it's like that's a simple thing, but it just seems like the budget ran out for those that CGI because they spent so much of it on the ocean. And it didn't take me out of the movie. I was just disappointed because I do feel like it can be distracting. I was expecting to be more distracted by the underwater CGI, but I wasn't. I thought that was very immersive and done really well. Obviously, it's completely computer-generated, yeah. but it looks great. And then 
you know, whether it's just vivid colors, like I think Atlantis in general just really looked awesome and uh, yep. was probably the best world building we've gotten in a uh, DCEU movie, similar to how Wonder Woman established the Themyscira in the beginning. A similar idea, yeah. just these crazy out there locales, which again, the DC, DC Comics has a lot of these. So it's good to finally get these and we're getting away from the darker you know, shadowy tones that we saw in the Snyder uh, era for the universe, whether some people like that, but I think it's better that we're seeing a, you know, a different side now. And, you know, I think, like you said, the tropes, I think the, the probably the biggest overall problem with this movie, which again, I liked, I think it's probably my favorite one in the DCU. And I thought it was just really fun. But the issue is it's really, really straightforward, just quite predictable and just of how formulaic an origin story it is. And especially as we've seen other films, comic book films, kind of askew origin stories or speed them up. We just saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is a great take on that. And then we have Aquaman, which does it really by the book. And really, and it's fine. It's still effective, but it's simple. And I, I think we could have maybe tried to do it a different way, especially because we already met Momoa's Aquaman in Justice League. Again, not, not a good film, but we didn't meet him. Similar to how like we met Black Panther in Civil War before we saw Black Panther. And yet, Aquaman's solo film is still as simple as if we had never met Aquaman before. So that's my, my overall criticism, but I still liked it. I thought it was a really fun time. And I mean, I think that's kind of in the general take because the movie's fucking crushing it, dude. It's their biggest yeah. movie overall when you well, worldwide. $940 million, it's going to hit a billion, 259 here in the States. It'll be the first DC movie to win four weekends here in the U.S. Great win for them, which they needed. And I think my overall takeaways is just that, you know, the fun flair, the, you know, sometimes just laying into the camp, I think really benefits comic book movies. And we saw it here. Sometimes the one-liners are quite cheesy. I thought some of the dialogue was just bad and dumb. Yes. But other times I, I thought it was pretty fun and, you know, effective. My favorite shot in this film, actually probably one of the better shots we've seen in comic book films, is that dive arthur and mira do with that flare into the trench and it's like a, a wide out yep. shot and all the creatures of the deep or whatever are chasing them that felt look fucking beautiful man and frankly it almost looked one like the rest of the film but that was really cool and that really showed uh again shows the kind of potential you can do when you you know try and get away from the traditional trappings of the genre so yeah overall i liked it right. i thought it was it was a good time yeah and i think that aquaman really um is helped by this basically being a soft reboot of the DC movies in a way. You know, it's pretty widely known. Ben Affleck's probably not going to come back as Batman. It's like pretty sure. And Cavill doesn't seem to be coming back as Superman. So moving forward, Momoa and Gal Gadot are the two people that they're going to build this off of. And uh, probably Ezra, Ezra Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so they, they got three, three very charismatic and, and well-liked stars there, which is great. And I, I agree. The, the dialogue is, I think, what, what did it most for me. I found myself rolling my eyes a lot. Um, two two lines stand out for me in particular. Um, just want to highlight these. When when uh, Mara shows off her ship, he's like, "Oh, I'm not going to get in that. That's going to give me. It's going to make me feel like I got a swamp butt." And I was like, "You really like you're this badass dude who like wants to like fight bikers in bars and like leave people to die, and you can't say swamp ass like." Man, and then he says, then he swears like ten minutes later. I was like, "Why? Like, do they get like only a certain number of swears? Maybe PG thirteen. They do. It's yeah. Very, <laughs> yeah, probably. But then, then the other part was uh, after the, the huge battle at the end. I guess this is kind of a light spoiler, but uh, when he's anointed king of yes. Atlantis, the rightful king, she goes, "Oh, today ended in bloodshed, but don't worry, we, this should end in joy because he's here now." And it's like, oh cool our families all just got murdered but no worries the king's back like i was like damn that seems like a real just like miss. well it's funny because no major character dies in this movie no cole kidman didn't actually die black manta doesn't actually die if you watch the post-credit scene orm didn't die or my dad's comment who liked it a lot he was just like man he went he became like a big bitch at the end as soon as he saw mommy and it was kind of yeah a, i don't know kind of a weird turn but I thought that was an interesting choice because I thought Black Manta did not work at all. And that was my fear when I saw the first trailer. I was like, he's clearly an ancillary villain to Orm. And do we need him? No, no, we didn't need him. And then we would have been tighter and short runtime, but just, I think the pacing would have been better if he was not present at all. And when we do get him, it's 
really cookie cutter uh, motivation wise. Really, I thought that performance was pretty uh, one note and over the top, and just disappointing. Yeah. And again, not needed. Like, why? Dude. Why? Why? It just feels like you're. We, we we've seen these problems in lots of superhero movies. Too many villains, and this is only two. Yeah. And you know, Dolph Lundgren, you know, he's barely there. He doesn't really count. But like, you just didn't need him. And I guess saving him for the fe- the sequel, which we know we're getting with all this money it's made. I guess there's uh, potential for redemption. But I thought he really detracted and didn't really add anything. Yeah, and especially like the the first scene you see him in on the sub, uh, when when his dad has the thing on him and he's screaming for Aquaman to help him. That was like cringe worthy. How bad that that was overacted. Um, I don't know the the. I agree. The whole Manta thing didn't really work for me. Black Manta, but overall, I I think that there's a lot to like about this movie. Just one last criticism is uh, I thought the score didn't really fit for the tone i, I think like it. like the electric guitars <laughs> were fine but there were moments i was like man this music just doesn't really seem to fit with the tone of the movie for me but that's just that's yeah. a small one i just i i usually uh shout out when the music's really good in the movie so i also wanted to be fair and, and be right. critical um but yeah momoa is a he's a star and like he's bankable for that moving forward he just seems so likable and and charismatic and i thought he actually played the character arc really well because he starts off as like this cocky doesn't give mm-hmm. a fuck kind of guy and then the more he kind of gets into it the more he's faced with real issues you really saw him kind of pull within himself more and i thought him and amber heard together had pretty good chemistry uh, i thought she was really good in the film and also patrick wilson's yeah. just fucking awesome. for sure love him yeah no I, it's funny because i thought mira again very straightforward arc for her very, very traditional tropey etc and she also has a really uh, cringy costume but what she yeah. was given, I thought she did well. And yeah, Patrick Wilson ate that shit up. I thought he was really good. Uh, the only funny note I had is he's just like, he just kind of knows Volko. He knows Willem Dafoe betrayed him. Just, you know, just like that. I, I just decided that I know that you're actually helping Aquaman this whole time. That's fine. Uh, I, I don't tend to get hammered down on logic with these movies. It's okay. Shout out Julie Andrews <laughs> voicing the Kraken thing. <laughs> Did not see that coming, especially considering this is coming out when yeah. Mary Poppins Returns comes out. Hilarious. Ridiculous. But honestly, that final battle, I thought, really lived up to it. A lot of times the CGI third act fight can be really uh, garish, but it wasn't this. Partially because it looked great, but I thought uh, it just was so bonkers that it worked. But there was that cool shot where we track uh, from each creature that's it present mm-hmm. like throughout. I thought that was a really cool idea. And... Yeah, you know, this is a nice win for DC. Uh, just next time, no pit bull covers. That's my only other note. Yeah, that that was tough. But overall, uh, like you said, a win for DC. Well, why don't we move on to Barry Jenkins getting another W as well for If Beale Street Could Talk. We, you know, we started with the Golden Globes. We mentioned how Bohemian Rhapsody won for Best Drama. It was up against Beale Street. And Regina King took home Best Supporting Actress. This was a much more deserving movie to win Best Drama, in my opinion. Uh, Stephen James, Kiki Lane, Regina King, Brian Tyree Henry, and Diego Luna just playing like bit roles. Like, there's a lot to like about this movie. Even Ed Screen as the racist cop. <laughs> it's a great so good. cast everywhere. <laughs> it, it's amazing cast. Barry Jenkins, it, is he a top five filmmaker? Top ten filmmaker? You know, I mentioned in the Best of 2018 pod, uh, for the movies that I feel like there's like 10 to 15 like real masters working right now you know like kind of got the old guard the new guard yep. in the middle and he's got to be in that new guard yeah it's funny because he's he's uh, a little bit older than uh, Chazelle and some of the other guys we talk about is the new people but yeah uh, definitely because he despite only having three films I haven't seen Medicine for Melancholy but I've heard it looks similar to Moonlight and Beale Street he has this incredibly unique visual style in terms of the way he shoots his films <clears throat> and to have that big of a directorial identity uh with only a few films in signature is is impressive and yes like he, he's a little older because he had trouble getting his films made it's not like he's like a newbie or anything um let's see he's 40 he's 39 so and i think she's like 30 31 or something so yeah. despite you know having a few films under his belt officially he clearly is really experienced and yeah i think that flair really adds to this film because from the get-go you just see that his close-ups are fucking great and that's the way he does these films and i thought the brian tyree henry scene which is widely been lauded as the best scene in the film it's uh, henry's only uh scene in the movie as well that 
is an interesting choice he makes. He only uses one camera there. He used two cameras the rest of the movie. But by using one camera and panning from face to face through the conversation at the table, he really just kind of hammers home the, the point of the scene. I think that scene really kind of, for any doubters of the, of the, of the, the meaning of the plot, I think that kind of hammers it home for everyone. And that was my favorite scene, obviously. But even though we just take away like his style, I think the movie is told in a really cool way because I haven't read the James Baldwin story from 74, but so I can't really speak to how much it's similar to that. But it really focuses on like love and family and like acceptance more so than the actual like violence and the racism, you know? Like we never see any of the violence that uh, Fani experiences in jail. We just kind of see signs of it. We see how his character changes and we kind of see how Tish's attitude changes as she's going through everything, right? And I think it's done in a tactful yet subtle way that I think really benefits the storytelling. Yeah, you know, to just to add on to that, you don't even see, you know, what the alleged rape that or anything related to it nope. really. You know, you just kind of see the after effects, and I think, I think the thing I like most about this film is it's such a human story, and I think that's what Jenkins does so well, and that's why his close-ups are so effective, and the way he's able to bring certain emotions out of you and out of his his actors using these close-ups and using the the color palette i mean it's an incredibly sharp looking film a lot of bright vibrant colors uh, a lot of really sharp patterns um on the characters on their clothing and uh just you know he was talking about how like when you first see brian tyree henry he actually filmed that in new york city i believe in the bronx and if you like panned over like five feet you'd see a whole foods right there but he's able to just find these sections these like real parts of wherever he wants to do these things that really bring his movies to life. And I thought the score by uh, Nicholas Bertel was oh, yeah. just phenomenal. And it adds so much to the film. And you, you mentioned his camera work, and how, how he kind of goes back and forth, but he does it really slowly. And it's not always the film, like the camera isn't always on the person talking. And I think that really creates an air of like being a part of a conversation and not just listening into what someone's saying and that's a huge difference and i found myself during that brian tyree henry scene almost like feeling like i was actually sitting there at the table with them because it's just so it really just reels you in brian tyree henry delivers that monologue in such a haunting way and the way that the score changes from being pretty hopeful to like almost like a horror film score during it's just masterful it's up there with me for with a couple of other scenes throughout the year you know like Allie, like the first time Allie comes on stage with Jackson Maine, yep. and probably the Spider-Verse when he takes the leap of faith. That's a pretty awesome scene. A couple mm-hmm. other ones that come to mind, but it's one of the scenes of the year for sure. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because the movie's really, it's ultimately really melodramatic, right? Like it's, it's uh, but it, it's done such such a, I think a loving touch for the for the, for the subject matter of the story that it's so, it works so well. And even, uh, I saw some comments about this before I saw the movie, but I know Dave Franco's uh, appearance in the film and that subsequent scene, perhaps seen as a weak point, maybe it was unnecessary. I, I didn't mind it. I thought, if anything, I wish he would have maybe changed his delivery a little bit. He just sounded so much like comedic Dave Franco that it was a little distracting. You know, like I was expecting <laughs> yeah. him to make like a joke or something because it's the same normal na- nasally uh, cadence, cadence yeah. that he that we know know from him. Like like he, I was watching Neighbors three or something. But other than that, I thought the scene itself was effective. Yeah, man, I, uh, I I expect this to get nominated for best picture, best adapted screenplay. Regina King should get nominated for best supporting actress. And those are all locks, and I'm fairly certain Barry should get nominated for best director as well. I'll be very fucking mad if Peter Fairley from Green Book takes his spot. Not that he should be the last guy cut or anything, but uh, I expect those all to go. Um, Shout out Stephen James, great year. We mentioned that a few weeks ago, but mm-hmm. Overlord, Homecoming, Beale Street, great year for him. And yeah, you mentioned the score, Nicholas Bertel. I think it's probably the best score of the year. It's this one. Um, and Justin Hurwitz for First Man. There's yep. there's only a few at this top tier, and he, he's there. And lastly, I thought the saturated colors of the film really affected the story in terms of, like I said, like a warm feeling because. Mm-hmm. we've seen lots of movies set in 1970s New York and the 70s in general. They usually don't pop like this. They don't look like this. They look darker and dirtier, and we definitely know what the city looks like. But by saturating everything and making it more colorful, 
um even like the scene where they have sex and like uh tish is like their skin's like glowing like there's from the lights yep. there's so many cool touches with how they shot this with so shout out the director of photography for that but yeah i think this is a movie that you can watch it and there's so many different things to appreciate and we've mentioned a lot of them that it's tough for me to really understand walking away from this and not you know appreciating it because there's so much going on yeah barry jenkins i I feel like every time he makes a movie, it's probably going to be in the best picture discussion just because he picks really good stories. Um, he picks human stories, which are usually uh, big for award season. And he just shoots them in such an amazing way and gets so much out of his actors. He's really, really just a wonderful director and can't speak highly enough about this movie. I, I, I can't imagine it's making a lot of money. I actually forgot to look that up. No, not even 10 million yet. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully people will see it when it gets to streaming services. I think that's probably going to do it for our reviews for this week. Now, let's talk about some of the things we're looking forward to most in 2019. You know, to to kind of start off, I'm looking forward to uh, live streaming some of the Coachella sets uh-huh. uh, that, that come out because they dropped their lineup this past Wednesday. And it's pretty fire, dude. Um, you know, I've seen some people kind of panning it, but I think compared to a couple of, year, a couple of the past years, this seems like one of the stronger lineups I can remember, mm-hmm. especially when you see something like, Firefly or even Governor's Bald State, which seemed to uh, be missing a big name in there, really pulled through, especially when, you know, Justin Timberlake and Kanye both said that they pulled out at the last second yeah. headline. <laughs> I think that this means that there's going to be a big year in music moving forward. And I'm wondering what albums are you most looking forward to? Yeah, I think the obvious sign, Coachella, uh, Saturday headliner, Tame Impala. Their yeah. new album from them, that's going to be exciting to a lot of people. They're a big act. They they still stream a ton right now. So like that, that'll be mm. huge when that happens. But if you look at all the other Coachella headliners, most of these people already released music this year or you know probably want to see. I guess Solange also on Saturday. I think there's been talk of her having an album ready. Uh, so that'll like make three sense. three years now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Chash Gambino. We talked about this at the beginning of la- uh, last year, and I wasn't expecting one in 2018. And this kind of changes my mind for this year, just because we remember he signed that new record deal at the beginning of last year, and he mentions retiring the Childish Gambino name. Again, if he still goes through that, who knows? But And he just came off a tour, but that was a really successful tour. I saw it stop. It was great. But he didn't have any new music there besides This Is America, which was a one-off song, and Feels Like mm-hmm. Summer got nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. Again, one-off song. So, you know, maybe he's hungry and ready for that because I don't think he's making Atlanta this year. So that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, But then, I mean, were there any other festival acts that, like, you saw as, like, signs of new music? Because, like, Governor's Ball, you mentioned, I I mean, there was no brand new people for that one. I mean, we've been thinking Vampire Weekend when it dropped last year. They're not at any of these early festivals, right? Yeah, I think they'll probably drop sometime in... Probably right around like late April, May. Uh, I'm, guess- I'm guessing Tame was supposed to come out in the summer, but with them playing Coachella, I have to imagine they want to play some new music there. Um, probably going to drop a little bit earlier than thinking. Uh, I mean, the, the obvious ones on here that stand out, uh, Maggie Rogers, uh, Billie uh, Eilish, um, yeah, probably sure. going to be dropping some new music. But or that would be her first album, I think. I she has one project from last year. I'm not sure if it's an album, but I mean, she's another... St- She's what sixteen, seventeen, but she does crazy mm-hmm. streams, and you started hearing like Apple commercials and stuff. Yeah, that album's coming soon. Zed probably is going to be dropping something new, but I'm not super jazzed for that. Um, okay. <laughs> although, yeah, you know, in in terms of new music, I think we haven't seen a lot of people who are expected to drop album albums this year on a lot of the festival lineups. Like uh, Chance the Rapper is somebody that I think we're all expecting to drop an album yeah. this year. Cardi B promised an album this year. I guess Kate Trinata would be somebody who's doing the festival mm. circuit, which I'm looking forward to his album. Uh, Disclosure. They ah. tease, say some new songs at the end of last year. They mentioned more is coming, so I'm really hoping they come through. It's been a few years. That would be awesome. Uh, we're supposed to get a James Blake album perhaps as soon as this month. Uh, again, his last mm. album was 2016. That makes sense to me. Uh, that's cool. I, I, I like some James Blake songs, so I'll be down to hear some more. Uh, we know Hozier's releasing one in March, and that's cool. We like that EP he dropped in the fall. Uh, it's been a while for him overall. What about SZA? Do you do you expect her to drop new music? There was a rumor right around Christmas time that she was yeah. about to. Yeah, I mean, Control was, what, early 2017? So yeah, she, she could do, easily do two years. That I don't know. 
because the way TD drops their music, it's very, very planned out. Everyone takes their turn, right? And by all accounts, Schoolboy Q was supposed to have a fall album, but then when Mac Miller passed, they waited Q on the wait, right? So I think Q is the next one to drop, and I'm excited as hell for that. Blank Face was 2016, yeah. so it's been a while. But then we also haven't gotten Absol in a while. He was the end of 2015. Was, was that Will? Was that long ago? Yeah. So I think, on the other hand, SZA's really bust out in 2017, so it wouldn't make sense to keep that going. Focus on your two big hitters with Kendrick, obviously. But, yeah, I think they're going to default to at least Q first. But it wouldn't surprise me if she is the last one of the other ones. But, yeah. Yeah, especially because she, she is headlining or headlining the third day of uh, Governor's Ball. So I have to imagine she's going to be dropping something at some point before then mm-hmm. or maybe, like, right after then. Um, Lewis the Child also would be an interesting name to look out for. I feel like they're poised. I mean, they're they're pretty big already, but I think they're poised to make that, mm-hmm. that next level jump in the house EDM genre. Sure. I don't know. I, I I'm actually really excited for the rocking tours. You know, Jack White released an album that we we did not like very much last year, um, but he released the uh, I believe it was two songs at the end of. 2018 with the rocking tours and he hasn't mm-hmm. released music from them in a decade uh, and they, the song sounded pretty good and the rocking tours aren't a band i've been i listen to frequently but they still rock and jack white i think it uh, from his very electronic sounding very unorthodox album to go back to something a little bit more rooted and grounded and uh, an older sound would be a good move for him so i'm excited for that and also curtis harding is a I don't think we've ever reviewed anything from him on here, but he's an artist I like a lot, uh, like a rock, uh, an old school like rock sound, mm. um, similar to like I don't want to say Hendrix, but he infuses a lot more like jazz into it, and uh, very interesting artist. So I'm hoping he drops something this year. It's been a, a two years since his last album. Yeah, Maybe that'll probably good. do it for music. Any others? Um, it's been a long time since Justin Bieber dropped anything. Fall 2015. Could this be the year? Oh, shit. Just got married. It's a great call. Technically. So, wouldn't surprise Alabama me. Shakes would be great, too. On the other side of that coin, Selena Gomez also hasn't released an album in a while, and she's the most followed person on Instagram. Like, she's fucking gigantic. It's been a while. You know, she had some personal issues, health issues and stuff, so that wouldn't surprise me. Um, similar to Cardi B, Ariana Grande's probably dropping another project this year. Uh, Thank You mm-hmm. Next was a number one hit. She released other songs on top of that. Not all of them popped as much. So that sounds like it's actually kind of close, which is kind of weird. I feel like she should keep waiting. But um, then on the rap side, uh, 2 Chains rapper Go to the League is supposed to be coming out for a while. So I'm excited for that if he does, in fact, drop that. Lastly, uh, Lil Pump, Harvard Dropout, supposed to come out a few months ago. He just dropped that new Butterfly Doors track, and I love that song so much. And I'm really excited because I feel like he's really getting down to like making knows knows what he's good at, and he's gonna start to do, keep doing that. So I'm excited for that. Uh, ironically, <laughs> but yeah, we're gonna get some surprises. Like, do you think Drake takes off this year? He didn't take off the past three. Do you think Kanye drops another album? Yeah, apparently he's in Miami. Yandy. Yeah, apparently he's in Miami right now with like a bunch of bunch of names, young and old. So. I do think he dropped something. It's probably not called Yandi, which I, I like as a name, but you know, yep. I also like, so help me God. He didn't keep that one either. Um, yeah. I do think he <laughs> dropped something probably uh, the May time. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Music is nonstop. Like there's just always something you're talking about with it. So we'll be reviewing all of that and more uh, most likely. But let me jump to TV. So TV I think is interesting because there's one, show that i think everybody's like holy shit this is like the event of the year we all know it's game of thrones season eight <laughs> it's it's i mean they, they dropped a three second clip last night of the golden globes where uh danny and john meet, meet sansa and sansa says winterfell is yours my grace and people are like <laughs> dissecting the shit out of that three second clip <laughs> it's gonna be incredible like in the i have no doubt it'll be a top mm-hmm. of everybody's best of even if the ending isn't totally satisfying uh, but what else are you most excited for this year, Dave? Yeah, so I think there's some obvious choices of shows that we just talked about for 2018. Killing Eve back in April. Barry's coming back. Succession's coming back. You mentioned Throne. Stranger Things coming back on July 4th. Nice layoff for them. Expecting Mindhunter to come back this year. Fleabag's supposed to come back this year. So I'm excited for all of that. In terms of new shows, 
again, we don't really have dates on any of these, but there's that FX show with Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams, uh, Phosphored, and I think it's called. Looks pretty cool. Yeah. Produced by Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah. So that that'll that'll be a big push. We like FX. Yep. Uh, John Landgraf knows what he's doing there. Other stuff though, we don't have dates for anything. So a lot of these are like theoretical. We know they're making a second season, but whether it actually happens this year or not, the Crown season three will be uh, huge. Olivia Coleman on here right now, so that I'm sure that'll help her. We're supposed to get that Witcher Netflix show with Henry Cavill. I'm not sure if that makes this year, but they already have been filming it, so that would actually be pretty exciting for the video game heads. Watchmen is my most anticipated show of the year apart from thrones also hbo damon lindelof it's not an adaptation it's uh, just existing in the world and jeremy irons is playing osmandius as an older man and i'm just fucking <laughs> stoked they showed brief brief like five seconds in that same uh, teaser you mentioned for the globes and there's a bunch of different mm-hmm. scenes there we have no idea what any fuck they mean but i'm so excited because <laughs> again this is lindelof's return uh since leftovers yep. it's been a little while and it's also fucking watchmen well uh, the most seminal yeah, exactly. thing in comics. So <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, you get Lindelof back and he's making like new Watchmen shit. It's like, okay, like just sign me up. I'll, I'll be there. I'll watch that. Something else on the HBO preview, Veep, the final season, and also True Detective season three. It's going to be a huge year for HBO, which is oh, yeah. like the least surprising thing I could possibly say. There's other ones too. Big Little Lies season two. Yep. And... I think in the fall, because they've been shooting as I think they'll make it, uh, the His Dark Materials co-production with BBC, a.k.a. the Golden Compass. Uh, they shut out a lot of money for that IP. We talked about the fantasy IP uh, bubble uh, a few months ago, so check that out on YouTube. But uh, that's going to have big production values and might be the first post-Thrones fantasy show to try and occupy that bubble in ter- terms of coming out soon. So uh, that'll definitely have a lot of eyes on it. But... I gotta say, Watchmen's up there for me, but probably my second most anticipated TV uh, season of this year is True Detective, or sorry, not True Detective, Mr. Robot season four. Oh, yeah. Uh, the finale of Mr. Robot, Sam Eshmael, Rami Malek. Um, it's gonna be awesome. I have no doubt that they'll land the ship, and I think it's gonna be phenomenal. Just other two others I wanna shout out that could steal a lot of attention. Um, Tiko Watiti is uh, mm-hmm. readapting his um, short film "What What We Do in the Shadows." Mm-hmm. Um, that him and Jermaine Clement, uh, what they dropped in 2014, I believe, that could be really interesting. And also, Ryan Murphy is is probably going to be dropping some shows on Netflix this year. And there's one called "The Politician," um, which stars Ben Platt. From Pitch Perfect mm. fame and uh, Dear Evan Han- Hansen fame. Jessica Lang's also in it. Dylan McDermott, January Jones, Zoe Deutsch. It's, uh, it sounds like it's going to be pretty good, so I'm excited for that. Yeah, and now that I keep looking, there's a few others I'm looking forward to. Not sure if we're getting this for sure, but it's soon. The New Pope, the sequel show with Jude Law adding uh, John Malkovich. Uh, we love the young Pope when that came out uh, two years ago, so that'll be exciting. Devs, the FX Alex Garland show with Sonia Mizuno from Maniac, as well as Nick Offerman. Uh, we like Alex Garland. He does crazy shit, so I'm sure him doing peak TV on FX is going to be bonkers. Um, yeah. Also, Black Mirror Season 5 probably be a few months down the road, given Bandersnatch just came out, mm-hmm. but that's supposed to be coming. And then lastly... Uh, can't forget just straight up greatness. Better call Saul coming back. Yeah, Saul always always gets forgotten, and it's like it's probably the mm. biggest crime we, we do this year. I forgot one more. Catch twenty two on Hulu with George Clooney, Kyle Chandler, and Hugh Laurie. George Clooney back for the first time since ER. Exciting on TV. Yeah, and Jennifer Aniston's uh, thing should be dropping on Apple this year, I believe. I don't know about that. I don't think they've started producing any of their shows yet, so I don't know if that's okay. happening. Oh, and also, uh, we should get something from the Disney Plus streaming service at the end of the year, you know, whether it's The Mandalorian or something else. We'll get something on that. Mandalorian. I can't imagine they dropped that at the same time. They're dropping Star Wars Episode Nine, yeah. which uh, <laughs> is probably that and Avengers Endgame are the two most anticipated movies of the year. It's going to be... It's going to be a hell of a year in movies, I think, because for me, there's there's three like main ones that I'm looking forward to. Two of them are earlier in the year and then Star Wars at the end of the year. But there's just a ton of really quality and interesting films already on the docket, let alone the art house picks that will no doubtly be standing over by the end. Um, 
but I think the three for me are Star Wars Episode Nine, Avengers Endgame, and Us. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Peele's trailer. That trailer is just it's got me like i i'll be there opening night can't wait to see it but what else are you looking forward to dude yeah i'm with you on those on the blockbuster front i'm also stoked for godzilla king of the monsters that trailer really sold me uh they've did effects on this movie for like a year and a half and it shows it looks great so i'm excited for that i really like the first one from uh gareth edwards uh other blockbusters i'm very curious to see x-men dark phoenix and the new mutants duke these could be our last uh films in the fox x-men universe um so they look bad very interested bad, bad, bad. <laughs> very interested in those i'll say that <laughs> <laughs> spider-man far from home that's our first marvel movie post avengers endgame uh, jake gyllenhaal's the villain that sounds cool disney's keeping the remake game going we've seen the dumbo trailer that looks fine i don't think colin farrell really looks like an elephant but we'll see how that goes <laughs> but um I'm more looking forward to like most people to the Lion King remake and not for the reason you think I'm just interested in Lion King because this is probably the last chance a movie has to beat the force awakens for the highest grossing film in the U S force awakens made like 936 million in the U S alone. Second place is black Panther at like 700. It's that big a gap. If any war was less, I don't think Endgame can even get close I think Lion King, something that is so international, so worldwide, and so beloved, is our last chance to really see if that record can ever be topped. Um, so I'm right. very interested in that. Yeah, that's actually a really good point, because when you think about it, uh, like Lion King, you don't need to have seen anything previously other than probably the Lion King, which everybody's seen, um, to right. enjoy this film. Whereas like Endgame, you have, a, you have some catching up to do <laughs> at this point, even if it's just watching the last one. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good one. The voice cast for Lion King is absurd, mm-hmm. just nuts. Um, once upon a once upon a time in Hollywood, oh, uh, yeah. Quentin Tarantino's next project, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, dude, we got we just got like shots from the set, just pictures, and I'm like, yo, I I can't wait to see this. It's <laughs> phenomenal. Fuck yeah, I have no idea. I just saw pictures. I'm like, I'm in. Let's go. Let's see what else. Under the Silver Lake, uh, yeah. which. It was an inter- It sounds really interesting to me. Andrew Garfield getting uh, mm-hmm. to investigate the disappearance of uh, what's your name, Riley Riley Keough. Yeah, um, supposed to come out last month, and they pushed it way out, which I think was a smart idea. Yeah, take all the time you need, just make it good. And John Wick three, that and Men in Black International. I'm mm-hmm. I'm hoping are both really good. Can't forget Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker. Everybody's saying his performance on that was excellent. Let's go. Um, someone just someone just make sure he's going to be okay afterwards. That's all I care about. Yep. Phoenix. Yeah, similar to the industry angle, I'm very curious to see how Rocket Man, the Taron Egerton, Ellen John film does, because that's releasing end of May? End of May, or is it? Yeah, end of May. And that's a choice to make that a summer film. But I think all those producers and Egerton and all them, they saw what happened with Bohemian Rhapsody. That shit made over $700 million worldwide. People love Queen. Ellen John is not Queen, but Ellen John is still huge. So I think if they push this movie and they follow the beats Bohemian Rhapsody did, we could have another big hit. And I'd be happy for Terry Negerton in that regard. The interesting part for that is going to be he's actually singing. Yes. He's singing the song. So that could either be really good or really bad. Yeah, I agree. And it sounded good in the trailer. Granted, that's a small moment. But yeah, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the key there. Um, also, the Men in Black International trailer looked fucking great. Tessa Thompson yep. and Chris Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth. again parent from back in the rock yeah fuck me up with that hell yeah <laughs> on the non-blockbuster front ad astra james gray's lost city of z follow-up it's a space film with brad pitt yes in also <laughs> the king the timothy chalamet film about henry the eighth i want to say i'm not sure if i forget but that yeah cool. sounds right uh, ford versus ferrari looks good uh then there's some other ones that don't have dates yet like the french dispatch the wes anderson film that has Sir Sharonin and like hella other great actors excited for that. The Irishman on Netflix will be coming sometime this year. We've talked about that before. Claire Denis movie High Life, the Robert Pattinson space film, which was already shown this past year. We're supposed to be getting that at some point because A24 picked it up. That's really cool. She's a uh, French director that's not really well known over here. So I'm excited for that. And of course, Pattinson's been killing it. So I'm sure that'll be awesome. And then, uh, I mean, I got a bunch of other ones, but lastly, uh, Little Women, the remake, Greta Gerwig with yeah, Florence Pugh, Emma Watson, Sir Ronan, Meryl Streep. I mean, come on, dog. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and a little movie uh, TV crossover. Deadwood supposedly is supposed to be yep. dropping a, a movie, which, I again, could go really, really well, or people are going to be asking, like wondering why they ever wanted it. Um, yeah, just a real real funny moment last night. I'm, I'm hoping I'm remembering this right. I didn't write it down, but uh, Sarah Sharonin, mm-hmm. when she uh, when she announced her category and Christian Bale won, going from Sarah Sharonin to... Christian Bale's blinding motherfucking <laughs> Welsh accent. It was like so the funny. best, like tennis fan. Because did you see Bale's acceptance speech? Yes, I did. Shout yeah, out Satan. That was yeah. Shout out Satan. Fire, dude. Uh, maybe he'll he'll do Mitch McConnell next. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> but uh, there, there's a lot to look forward to in uh, 2019. Um, a lot in, in all three categories. Uh, but let's let's hope it starts off with the Oscars getting things right. Um, unlike the Golden Globes, which are terrible. Yep. Don't don't shout out the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press anymore. No more. They're done. Um, (laughs) What do we got next week, Dave? What are we talking about? Yeah, that's funny because it's still early. Would have been a great time for 21 to drop, just saying. Um, (laughs) Musically, there's nothing of note. I know Comethazine's dropping Bosky too. I'm going to listen to that. He's... The most stereotypical of SoundCloud rappers, so you kind of know what to expect. So I'll see if that changes. But True Detective season three dropping their first two episodes on Sunday, so we'll talk about that premiere. That's probably the biggest thing. But yeah, I mean, there's not a big movie till the following weekend with Glass, so we'll probably do some for- more forecasting stuff or look back at some stuff we missed. But there's always stuff to talk about. Things will come up. Yeah, there's some uh, some good streaming movies we've been able to see that yeah. might be a good week to catch up on. And I'm guessing I'm guessing we'll we'll find an album or two to talk about. So stay uh, stay plugged in, you know, subscribe everywhere, including uh, YouTube, SoundCloud.com/slash NostalgiaPod. Uh, give us a five star rating on iTunes, and uh, yeah, go to, give us that follow on Spotify as well. Until next week, peace out. Yeah.